Welcome to Alter Everything, a podcast about data science and analytics culture. I'm Brian Oblinger, and I'll be your host. We're joined by Adam Black for a chat about the evolution of data culture, AI and ML, and thought leadership. Let's get into it. Hey, Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Great to be here. Excellent. So uh, I am so excited to have you on. Uh, we have some really interesting topics lined up for today. But before we get to that, uh, why don't you give the folks at home and myself a little bit of an intro, uh, who you are, how you got into analytics. would love to hear about your, your journey. Sure. So my name is Adam Black. Um, I am the Business Intelligence and Analytics Manager at Lake Trust Credit Union now. Um, prior to that, I was at Ford Motor Company. I was part of the, the founding member of their global data insight and analytics team. Um, before that, I was in a financial analyst at Ford Motor Company also. And before that, I was in IT doing um, application development, specifically financial systems. So I've got a kind of a broad background in data and analytics. And that's actually how I got into it is I got very excited when I was being a, a programmer in um, all the data that we had access to and all the interesting things we could do with it. And then as we, I rolled into my career as a financial analyst, um, I leveraged those programming skills and that background to do things like financial forecasting and predictive modeling and just uh, loved it. And I've been doing it more or less ever since. Wow. So that's really interesting. So you you kind of came to it, uh, I, w I guess I would say organically, it seems like it it just sort of came about and you, you seized the moment there. Yeah, I started out thinking I was good with computers, um, loved them. I liked programming and kind of figured that's where my career path would take me, to be honest. And then I found the world of financial analysis because of the application development I was doing on financial systems. And I was like, oh, there's so much more interesting things you can do with the data side, which I'd frankly never been exposed to before. Um, and I don't know, I just loved that you could tell so much with information like, you know, holidays affecting downtime and things like that in ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And having to plan extra absenteeism around concerts, right, in the area, which is, uh, you know, just fascinating, right? So we um, we talk about music a lot on this show. Uh, seems to be a recurring theme, uh, whether we plan it or not. Uh, so uh, which concerts uh, negatively affected attendance the most, if you could tell us? Probably uh, they've had a lot of concerts in Chicago during the summertime. Mm -hmm. And those events, when they happen tend to drive a lot of absenteeism, right? Because it's a we, Ford has a plant in that area, and so it tends to impact those local plants. Interesting. Pretty adversely, yeah. Wow, okay. And, uh, and, and one question I, I always have to ask people while we're on the music bit, uh, what do you listen to while you, uh, while you Ultrix or while you do your, your data work? Uh, it depends on the data, to be, be honest. Um, and what I'm doing, what I'm doing... Um, Market demographics, I actually tend to listen to Green Day. Okay. Um, and ironically, when I started to do it, deal with account data and things like that, um, that's more technical, it's uh, 
Wagner or Beethoven. Oh. So wow, <laughs> I'm quite eclectic in my music choices there. Yeah. All right, um, good. Well, the the one thing I did want to talk to you about because you're kind of going back to your history. Um, you you do have a very broad set of experience and you know places you've worked and different types of things you've done. I'm curious to to hear from you over that span of time and that span of experience. How have you seen data and analytics culture change uh, or ha- has it changed, I guess, first of all, in your mind? And then if so, what, how would you quantify that? What does that change look like to you and, and where are we at today? Well, actually pretty significantly. When, we, when I first started doing it, it was more this, the realm of financial analysts or business analysts embedded in the, the skill teams, right? Um, and it was almost the, you were the closet guy, right? You're down in this room, you're doing analysis and, you know, you're not quite a computer person, so the computer team doesn't really want to see or talk to you very much. And you're not quite a finance guy, so they're not sure what to make of you either. But hey, they find you really useful. Um, until now, where it, data is everywhere and it's the, the hot thing, right? And so now it's integrated in everything and everybody's reaching out to you from you know, HR all the way through the whole entire company and organization for just different data needs. And they're all excited about what they can do and how they can leverage data to change their business and make it more efficient, right? Mm. So it's more it's more saturation, I guess, uh, is the big change. Uh, people who previously weren't in it are are now all about it. Is that kind of the big, the big shift there? I think it's saturation and just awareness, right? It wasn't that they didn't find the data useful, obviously, before. It's that they didn't know what to do about that or what you could do with that. And then the, the speeds at which you were operating before, right? I mean, uh, when I first started, a query might take eight hours to run, right? Just to do a, you know, a couple of gigabytes of data to process, right? To now where that's seconds, right? Mm-hmm. And it required a very specific skill set to write your SQL queries and your programming code and your PLSQL to, to do things, right? Whereas now the tools have developed such that, well, like all tricks, right? You've got drag and drop functionality, which expands it out so that they can understand what you're doing. I mean, one of the big hurdles when I first started is you, you show a business customer um, SQL code or programming code and their eyes glaze over and you've lost them, right? <laughs> but like with all tricks, everybody understands a workflow, right? It's just a flow chart from their perspective. And so it's easier to have discussions around it and keep them engaged. Got it. So the catalyst for the change then is access to these types of platforms and uh, just in general ease of use. Is that like, cause you were talking about before, like uh, your HRs of the world and your finance departments of the world, um, you were saying, you know, now they're excited about it and they're aware of it. Is are, is that is it the access and the ease of use, or is is there something else that's sort of led them down that path? I think it's the access, ease of use, and awareness that that trifecta, right? Um, even with ease of use and access, like I'll use actually my like trust experience. When I first um, arrived here, we had three active Ultrix users, right? It wasn't a very big density. And it wasn't because they couldn't have it, just uh, no one knew to ask for it or what it did. And it was this this thing. They didn't know any better, right? Whereas now we have over 20 users uh, where we've gone and we've really started to democratize it and they know what it is and they're excited and we've held training classes. And so it's really getting that awareness out 
and the ease of use and the accessibility, right? Mm-hmm. Got it. And what's the what's the next step? So that's where we're at today. Where are we going uh, with all of this? Um, I'm really excited about products like um, Data Robot and Driverless H2O and how that automated artificial intelligence is actually going to play into the industry, right? In good and bad ways. It's going to be very exciting to see how that impacts everything with such a constraint on talent for data scientists, right? That automation of AI and ease of use and the democratization efforts of getting it out to just people that are doing their day job, I think is really going to be game changing, right? Um, You won't have to necessarily wait for a super highly skilled, highly specialized PhD person to go and implement an AI solution, right? Um, You'll be able to use some of these automated tools and processes and take the recommendations from the AI on what AI work do you need, right? Yeah, one, that's a really interesting. One of the questions I have on, for you on the AI front is, uh, I'll try to find this tweet. I saw this tweet the other day that said, uh, machine learning takes place on a computer at the silicon level, and AI takes place on a computer at the PowerPoint level. Uh, and I got a good chuckle at that. <laughs> but I, I'm curious, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of talk about uh, ML and AI and, and automation and these kinds of technologies uh, I think what's hard for me and others to understand is what's real and what is, you know, sort of bluster or people being, uh, I guess, pre-excited for those kinds of things. Where do you see that at? Like, where are we at in your mind in terms of AI today? And how long do you think it's going to take until we get to, um, you know, that I don't know if it's utopia, but or maybe a dystopia, right? Uh, which we can talk about. But that world where, um, to your point, a lot of these tasks are just happening, you know, via AI, and and we're doing the the higher order, um, you know, more skilled labor, I guess, as it were. Well, I mean, I think that's happening now. Um, a lot of different products have started to incorporate it into auto generated insights, right? I mean, it's the the current big thing. And it's only going to get, we're only going to see more and more market penetration of those types of tools, right? Where the recommendation engines now make it very easy to see insights into your data that you might not even have noticed yourself, right? And so as those tools become easier to use and quite honestly, more cost effective, right? And the, the penetration hits, it's going to really change how people even think about and interact with their data sets, right? They're going to come to expect that. They're going to come to expect that, hey, the system will just tell me when it's sick or when, you know, I need this particular type of analysis, right? Now, I don't think that'll negate the need for data science professionals, right? There's a level of interpretation and understanding and making sure that the AI is right and quite honestly, trust from your business partners, right? If the the computer just auto-generates it and it'll be wrong, probably, especially in the early days, more often than it's right, um, you're going to want that human to to really interpret the results and make sure you're getting what you expect. So I don't think it'll completely eliminate that type of activity, but I think it will definitely change the expectations of your business partners. Got it. Okay. 
Yeah, that's it's really interesting stuff. We're we're in exciting times, and I think everybody's waiting to see how this all pans out. Uh, and there's definitely um, a wide spectrum of opinions and uh, you know sort of yeah. futures of of where people think that's going to go. Like I said, the uh, the utopia versus the dystopia thing. Um, so yeah, no, that's really great, and I'm I'm excited to see how. Um, to your point, you know, just basic machine learning, even at that level, um, can help us in the, in the data science field, because there, there's a lot of this work that, um, it's getting easier all the time because of the platforms and technologies available to us outside of, of ML and AI. But, um, there's certainly a, a long way to go in that. Um, like you said, I think, you know, helping people get information and producing, insights or reports before they know they need it as opposed to uh, some sort of reactive scenario. Um, I, kn- I know that IBM, for example, has had commercials for a long time about Watson uh, predicting, uh, you know, like the elevator is going to need service in 10 days. You know, go ahead and call the technician, I think was one of their commercials. Um, maybe we'll we'll find that on YouTube and link it in the show notes or something. But um, yeah, any- anyway, it's it's fascinating stuff. Well, I mean, it's it's actually funny because a lot of people in analytics get focused on like the dashboards and the visuals and things along those lines, right? But my personal opinion is that when you get to that point, your analytics have actually failed because now it, it should just happen. It should be seamless and integrated into your business processes, right? You shouldn't have to go looking for the data. And I think that's where the future lies as far as the, the ML and the AI. Got it. Okay. So uh, as we're talking here, um, you're striking me as uh, the kind of guy that uh, you're sounds like you're interested in enabling others, uh, not just enriching yourself, which is great. So maybe we could talk about that a little bit, Um, you know, whether it's at your current organization or in general, what's your what's your take on the best ways to enable others and make sure that they have access to these, you know, not just the technologies, but the the knowledge so that they can navigate this world uh, along with us here? So um, when I was at Ford Motor Company, I implemented a process for doing an onboarding boot camp for our data scientists that ultimately got rolled out to our um, general business customers as well, business partners. So I've trained over 400 data scientists and business partners in the last few years. Um, I believe that the real powerful thing that you have to do is You have to have focused, dedicated time to the learning. And you have to recognize that it's an ongoing process. Like you bring them in for the boot camp and say it's a week or two weeks long and you get them up to speed and you train them on the latest tools and tech. But it can't stop there because it keeps moving, right? The rate of change is phenomenal right now. And so you have to take and make sure you use dedicated time at least once a week, twice a week, right, to go through and learn what's happening out there in the world and integrate it into your just daily business life. Yeah, absolutely. And and do you think that, um, I, I don't know what your take is on this, but, um, you know, we sort of have this mentality that if we, we're really going to get people to embrace change and embrace new things in terms of data and analytics, that we want it to, not everything needs to be a party, right? It doesn't have to be the f- most fun thing you did all week, but we at least want to make it engaging enough and interesting enough that people feel like they're having a bit of an experience while learning. I mean, do you have that same that same idea? And if so, what are the ways that you try to keep it fresh or keep it light or keep it fun so that people 
um, are more apt to do it as opposed to kind of, you know, recoiling back into their chair and saying, oh, this is just one more thing I have to learn and do. Yeah. So one of the things that we've done is, and it actually came off of the um, Ultrix community somewhere for uh, advice, but we did a several years in a row, we did Halloween data challenges Mm. where I get all the data scientists together. I give them... um, terabytes of data with different sets of data, like um, fake, obviously, but timekeeping data and badge data and GPS data. And they had to solve a murder or a crime that happened each one of the years. And in little teams of five, right? And I think one of the things that was cool about that is, first of all, it was amazing what you could accomplish very, very quickly with highly skilled individuals, right? we're talking a, a time window of about the four to six hours. They analyzed a brand new data set they'd never seen, applied it to the problem that they had, and came up with a presentation and presented their findings and made recommendations based on it, right? And they did it in that very, very tiny window, but they had a lot of fun doing it too. And quite frankly, more often than not, they got the correct answer, which was also powerful and passionate because the uh, the tools were just easy for them to use, right? And everybody always had a good time. They're, it was just a, an exciting way to implement that training and that reinforcement of the, the skills and get them thinking new ways about the data that they see every day. That's really cool. It sounds a lot like the uh, the weekly challenges and things like that. And we've, we've, we've had similar discoveries that uh, it's pretty insane how quickly someone can ramp uh, you know, if they want to on, on those kinds of activities. Yeah. And they get, they want to, they get excited about it. And it leads to lots of subsequent learnings and questions because when they didn't get something right, they, data scientists are the type of people, they have to know why, right? Like they they really (laughs) dig into it. It's not that we want to know why it's that we have to know why. Exactly. It's who I am. I don't have a choice. (laughs) Yep. Right. Okay. So, um, all right. So we covered the enablement stuff. That's good. Uh, what about speaking out? Uh, I think you've done some you've done some speaking at some conferences and things like that, right? Tell me uh, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I've spoken at the Ultrix Inspire conference in 2016. Um, I was part of a team of three people: uh, Alan Jacobson, Patricia Small, and myself. Um, and we spoke actually on democratization and how we were getting the tools out and the, the processes out and the impact it was having on the business. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, I was amazed at the turnout. I mean, the room was standing room only in the back to hear us speak about, you know, just our day jobs, right? And I I think that was actually eye-opening and also fascinating. Um, It was great to see all the the data enthusiasts there, you know, just like-minded individuals because you don't necessarily realize that there's so many of us out there, you know? Yeah. Um, good. Yeah. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm not surprised it was a full room with the names that you just dropped. Uh, it's like the, <laughs> the all-star team there. It's like not even fair. Um, so <laughs> very cool. So, uh, what about, uh, Inspire Nashville? You know, we're looking for, we're always looking for good speakers. Are you, uh, are you tuned into that? Are you coming out? We're definitely coming out. Um, I'm debating on presenting. I'll be honest. I'm looking through, uh, what we can share. Um, and some from the projects that we have and things along those lines and what would be a good fit. But um, if I can find one, I think that it'll be actually a lot of fun to go come out and do. 
I'm committing you uh, right here, right <laughs> now on the podcast. Uh, we want to hear some more cool stuff. So uh, we'll all look okay. forward to that. Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, great. And and the last thing on that topic, what do you, um, because you had the dream team, it was probably uh, a little bit uh, easier, I guess. But what, what kind of tips do you have for someone who... Um, well, you just described one type of challenge with presenting like this, which is what information do I have that I, I can share or I'd like to share or whatever the case might be. Um, that's one challenge. The other challenge might be, Hey, I'm, you know, maybe I'm not, I don't feel like I'm that good at public speaking or those kinds of things. Maybe what kind of tips do you have for someone who's listening to this and also debating whether or not they should speak at events or, you know, lead user groups or any kind of outward facing, uh, you know, presentations or leadership like that? Present on topics you're passionate about. I've, I've gone to lots of presentations at different conferences where the presenter wasn't as passionate about their topic, right? They memorized it and they, you know, they had their presentation, but they, you, there wasn't the enthusiasm in the pitch, if that makes sense. And so you could tell their audience was, you know, kind of nodding off and things along those lines. And so you really have to make sure you, you bring your, your A game, right? And you are passionate, enthusiastic, and you get your voice out there and, pick a topic that gets you kind of revved up, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So what we'll do is um, I've issued you a challenge, so I should issue all the the listeners a challenge as well. Uh, in the show notes at community.altrix.com slash podcast for this episode, we'll put the link to uh, the form that you can fill out to, you know, throw your hat in the ring to be a speaker for Inspire. Um, I think that's really great advice. And I hope, I hope a lot of people take that to heart and, uh, sign up. Uh, cause you know, the thing I always talk about with the, with the podcast specifically is everyone that we talk to about it, we say, Hey, you know, you got this great story. We'd love to hear it. And they go, Oh, you know, my story's not going to be interesting. You know, the people you have on there are way smarter than me. Um, which can't be true because <clears throat> I'm on this podcast. Um, <laughs> But in general, what we tell people is, you know, just come on and tell your story and they say amazing things. And so I, I'm really working to get people over that hump and put themselves out there because uh, we've just seen great results when they do that. So we'll put the link to that. And uh, if you're out there listening, uh, go consider it because uh, it's really awesome. Well, and I'll give you one other actually tip for that. If they're thinking that, you know, hey, I'm not smart enough, there's lots of smarter people out there, things like that. Do it for the reason that all those people usually come back and give you feedback on your project, right? People catch you afterwards and they talk to you and you make a lot of great connections and they give you some phenomenal ideas that you might not think of. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. There's always opportunities for learning. Um, we've definitely seen that, especially, uh, like at user group events where even the most seasoned of user can learn something new, uh, from, from someone in the audience. Uh, we see it all the time where they're like, well, you, you know, I couldn't figure out how to do this. And someone who's been using all tricks for like six minutes is like, oh yeah, you just go over here and you hit this hotkey and you know, whatever. And the, you know, even <laughs> yep. the, the seasoned consultant, you know, in the room is like, oh wow, I didn't even know that was available. So, um, that's actually a great segue. What, what is a good, uh, I'll ask you, what's a good trick uh, or tip that everybody should, should know that maybe they don't. If you're running in database, processes, inside of your formula tool, you can run subqueries. And I don't think most people know that. 
And there's a few things that you can only do through subqueries. There's lookups and things like that, especially when it comes to date ranges, right? And um, adding that subquery right inside in your formula tool, it was a, it simplified so many problems I was having while keeping the, the performance level of in database, right? Functionality. Wow. Okay. I'm going to go check that out. Uh, that sounds awesome. Uh, great. What, what else? Uh, what's the coolest thing you've ever done? Uh, we'll just throw that one out there as a, as a topic. Um, outside of Altrix, the, the coolest thing I've had an opportunity to participate in is, so we do these volunteer days at Lake Trust. And we get out into the community and we really help people. And that's a lot of fun. And this year I got to participate in a, a project called Operation Warm, where we handed out uh, coats to school kids in underprivileged areas in Detroit and in the Lansing area here in Michigan. And it was just phenomenal to get out into the community and to see the impact. And on a topic you wouldn't even necessarily think of, right? It's just kids needing coats, right? Uh, in today's day and age, how can that possibly be, right? And knowing that the look of the happiness and excitement on the kids' faces when they realized the coat was theirs and they, it kind of connected with them, right? That, oh, I get to take this. This is mine. I get to keep it. And it was just amazing. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And, and thanks for doing that. Um, you know, here at Ultrix, obviously, we're, we're really big on giving back. Uh, I'm actually sitting here wearing my Ultrix for Good shirt because after I wrap with you, we're going to go give some toys, uh, to some kids here locally. So, um, yeah, it, it's just so rewarding. We talk about it all the time on the show. Um, I just urge everybody out there, you know, find ways your own, whatever way it is, uh, your own way to give back because, uh, it's funny, you think you're giving back to others, but then what you find out is, um, you know, it's good, it's good for your soul as well. So absolutely. Very cool. All right. Well, that brings us to, I believe, community picks. Um, you kind of just talked about what you're doing in your local community. What else is uh, what else is interesting out there that people should be uh, paying attention to or, or taking a look at? Um, just reiterating the, the opportunity to get out and do good in your community, right? There's so many people in need and so many situations where you can help and there's organizations that need the, even if it's just time, right? And Heck, even with just data, there are a lot of nonprofits that need data science and need help optimizing their processes and things along those lines, and they, they just don't have it, and they don't have the expertise. And I know, um, for example, Altrix, you mentioned the, one of your things, there's um, the nonprofits have an opportunity to get access to some of the Altrix tools to help them and make sure that people are leveraging that and taking advantage and getting out there into their communities and really just participating, give back. Right. But not just once a year, everybody does it around Christmas time and the holidays, right? It's the season, but, but do it as a part of your daily life and routine. And I, I think that's really the, the focus. There's so many things, Habitat for Humanity, Operation Warm, just get out there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree hundred percent. Um, okay, great. I have a couple of picks I'd like to put out there. Um, the first of which is Santalytics. Uh, have you participated in Santalytics, Adam? I have not. I did not even hear so, that uh, So every every year for the last two years, um, so this is year number three now, um, as we record here in uh, the waning moments of the year 2018. Uh, so this is year three of Santalytics, and uh, it's really cool. It's basically, um, at this point, well, I'll, I'll read the description here. It's an all-inclusive non-denominational, secular, festive excuse 
for some friendly competition using Ultrix. Uh, so basically, it's a it's a set of <laughs> challenges that we put out that are related to Santa. Um, so in past years, for example, you had to help Santa navigate the globe and distribute the presents and find the optimal route. And you kind of see where all this is going. And uh, we always come up with some really interesting uh, gift or, you know, swag uh, because people love free stuff. Uh, I, I know you know that. And so in the past, we did cold weather kits uh, that had like Ultrix beanies. We've done we did like a rap video last year, um, which is super interesting. And if you haven't seen that, definitely uh, check that out. We'll put the link in the show notes to the the rap video. Um, this is this is who we are uh, as a community team at this point. <laughs> so Sanalytics is great. I definitely recommend um, participating in that. It's just a, it's a great fun you know fun time here, and, and you learn some stuff along the way. So that's my first uh, my first pick, and then my second one. Um, and I don't know how much uh, people outside of Ultrix know this, so I might be breaking some news here, but. One of the things we decided to do as a company this year is get everybody together, uh, and we're doing it here uh, next month in January. Um, we're going to get our whole company together in one spot, and we're going to kind of do, you could kind of think of it as an inspire, but for Altrix employees. And uh, a lot of it is just us getting on the same page about where we're going, what we're doing. But one of the cool things we're going to be doing is we're doing an internal Grand Prix. So Adam, you've been to Inspire. Uh, I, I, you know all about the Grand Prix. Um, so we decided that, you know, hey, we need to do one of these internally. Um, and so we've have, for the last several weeks, we've been having preliminary rounds and, you know, we're whittling it down. And the idea is that there's going to be uh, one participant from every department in, in the company who's going to participate in the Grand Prix and we're going to crown... Uh, this year's champion live uh, at the event. So uh, I bring that up because I think it's really cool. I'm really excited that we've brought this internal and we're going to get our internal champion for this year. Um, and uh, I think once it's once it's done, I'm going to be interviewing whoever the winner or winners are live on the podcast. So stay tuned to the show for more on that. Um, and just because I feel compelled to say this, uh, I, it, people have asked me, you know, who are you rooting for? Who are you rooting for? And the basic assumption is that I'm of course rooting for the person on my team, which I am, <laughs> but the real answer is that I'm rooting for whoever is competing against Tony Moses in any of the particular rounds. Um, because that's just who I am at this point. And Tony, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Tony's a great guy, but uh, we, you know, we <laughs> got to burn Tony on every episode of the podcast, and so this was my way of of getting it in. Um, so yeah, stay tuned for more internal Grand Prix goodness. Awesome, very cool. All right. Well, uh, Adam, thank you for being on the show. This was great. I had a wonderful time talking with you, and uh, I can't I can't wait to see your presentation at at Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I look forward to it. It'll be a lot of fun. So Adam, I, I want to circle back with you on something. So a little earlier on, we had talked about uh, AI and machine learning, and I, I made some overt references to uh, the end of the world as, as it comes to AI. Um, I, I was reading this article on TechCrunch um, that was actually just posted, uh, just looks like yesterday. And the title of this article is U.S. Intelligence Community Says Quantum Computing and AI Pose an Emerging Threat to National Security. And when you read the article, uh, and we'll link this in the show notes, it goes on to talk about how um, all of the intelligence agencies within the U.S. government, uh, they did a survey 
and they ask them, what is the number one threat, you know, to the world or the country as it were. And of course you have things like terrorism and climate change and, you know, some really gnarly, obviously topics in there. And uh, believe it or not, AI was voted uh, by those agencies as being one of the top things that they're they're concerned about. And it sounded like earlier when we were talking about this, you have a particular, I guess, maybe thought or uh, kind of uh, viewpoint on this. I'd love to kind of hear, uh, based on that, what what you kind of think is coming up uh, with AI. Let's let's put our tinfoil hats on here, Adam. Let's <laughs> let's really dig in deep to uh, what's going to happen going forward with all this AI mumbo jumbo. Well, I, I definitely don't think it'll be the end of the world. Humans are amazing <laughs> at adapting to situations, right? And I, I don't think it'll come to that. Um, but what I do think is, is that it's going to change the way we think about data and privacy. It's already started to. Um, and I think it'll actually get harder to be a data scientist in coming years as different data privacy groups and laws get enacted worldwide. We'll take um, the... European Data Privacy uh, Act that just went into effect earlier this year, right? GDPR. Yep. GDPR, yeah. <clears throat> it made it a lot harder, actually, to do global analysis on data from a data science perspective. Even when anonymized, there were so many rules and regulations around it, you have to be very, very careful um, and make sure you're using that data um, in compliance with that regulation. And so as each one of the countries comes up with their own version of that going forward, right, that's going to definitely impact how data science is done. But I do think that there's good in there that the AI will become easier. It will take over more and more um, of these tasks that we think about monitoring tasks and things along those lines that right now we're manually doing and sometimes not particularly effectively right? And not cost effectively for sure. It's going to change that type of labor and that type of work that needs to be done. Um, and I think that society is going to have to adjust to that as more and more things like, heck, you don't even necessarily have to drive your car, right? Um, it just takes you to where you need to go. Uh, <laughs> well, what af as that really reaches its natural conclusion over the next, I don't know, 50 years, we'll call it, right? there's going to be an adjustment to society related to that. And again, I don't think it's the end of the world. We'll adapt, but it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I've been, I've been reading a lot and listening to a lot of folks talking about this. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there's, there's definitely a couple of, you know, very different camps on this <laughs> in terms yeah. of, you know, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to change everything. And then there's the, you know, we're all going to die uh, crowd. <laughs> Um, you know, I think the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. Uh, and I've been hearing, you know, there's folks out there like Elon Musk and, and folks like that that have been saying, hey, you know, this isn't this isn't bad, but we need to put some decent regulation or some decent rules around this stuff to make sure it doesn't get out of control. What do you think about that? Like, where's where's the line, I guess, in your mind and, and how much should we uh, be kind of trying to protect ourselves to some degree? I mean, I think that we absolutely should be protecting ourselves. And I think that we should care probably more than we even do about our data and our privacy, right? I mean, we sacrifice an awful lot of private data just for convenience. And I think that has a negative impact. Look at the targeted ads and the, the things that take advantage of essentially our perceptions. Um, 
the way that we can be swayed by arguments that are targeted specifically to the way we think is a huge, huge problem, right? And I think that, that those data privacy rules, even though they're, they make the life of a data scientist a little more challenging, right? I, I think that's actually really, really important. Because again, AIs, they can process a lot more information, see patterns of data that we couldn't see before, and they can do it fast. And that's not gonna slow down, that's not gonna change. So yeah, we need to be concerned about how people are using our data. The last, yeah, I was just reading this article too, and the, it's so funny, the last line of this article, um, the statement that they got from, quote unquote, the US government, they don't even say like which agency, which yeah. also is scary. Um, it just, the quote is, the nature of conflict has changed, and so the United States must evolve. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's not ominous or anything. It's like the last <laughs> line, of, it's like the last line of the article, right? It's like, that, that just leaves you with a nice, warm and fuzzy feeling there. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it really is scary. I mean, think about my favorite one is the um, the Google AI. When asked, you know, what it thought about world domination and things like that, and people, and I think the quote was something like, "Don't worry, I'll keep you in a people zoo." Was its response? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just found our show title, uh, <laughs> episode twenty, whatever. Don't worry, I'll keep you in the people zoo. Exactly. Yeah.